Welcome to Cinema Talk at the Wisconsin Film Festival. I'm Mike King, senior programmer for the festival, and our guests on this episode are the filmmakers Albert Burney and Kentucker Audley, whose new film, Strawberry Mansion, is screening in our 2021 festival. It takes place in the year 2035, when the government has begun taxing our dreams. Audley plays a mild-mannered government lackey, assigned to audit the dreams of an eccentric artist who's been dodging her payments. But as he wades into her unconscious, he meets and falls for her younger self, pursuing her through a mind-melting fantasia of dreamscapes. A true psychedelic charmer, Strawberry Mansion boasts a dazzling handcrafted aesthetic, creating a unique cinematic experience with more visual imagination and wit per frame than any generic blockbuster. Bernie and Audley previously co-directed Silvio, which Bernie presented in person at our 2017 festival. Here's our conversation. All right. Well, uh, Albert and Kentucker, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having us and showing our film at the Wisconsin Film Fest. Yeah, really excited. Absolutely. So, so much of this film is devoted to exploring the world of dreams. It makes us realize how much of our lives we spend in that world. And, you know, we have these experiences completely alone, but they still affect our waking lives. So I thought we might start by just asking you a bit about your own relationships with dreams and if you took any specific inspiration from them in making this film. You know, dreams are, are something that I've always been interested in um, as far back as I can remember, like waking up and thinking about the dreams. And uh, about 15 years ago, I started writing them down hmm. and kept a little journal next to my bed. And I found like the more that I started to write them down, the more I was remembering them. Mm -hmm. And it even became kind of like, I would be dreaming about writing down my dreams. You know, it was like this feedback loop that was <laughs> happening. And so, yeah, I definitely like there's images and kind of, uh, loose things that are inspired by certain dreams over the year. But usually what happens is like you have an image from a dream and you kind of sit with it and it changes and you start, you know, putting it into a script and it totally, by the end, it's like nothing to do with what the dream was, but it still somehow, I feel like comes from that deep subconscious place of, you know, wonder that, that we all visit every night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's this sort of un, uh, the, the challenge of, of capturing what a dream feels like and putting it in cinematic terms or cinematic language. It's like this impossible thing that you could never, actually reach um but i think i think the subconscious is something that i feel like is uh is is something that we're we're always after um and whether that's dreams or whatever whether that's just you know daily thoughts through, through your through your life or it just like sort of just trying to get deep into the way that our brains work um, but yes it was a real challenge to try to find that dreamy quality to those scenes and um I, I think that was one of the central challenges of the of the film is, is is trying to make something approximate what a dream feels like yeah um i feel like you know the history of cinema is full of kind of lame dream sequences and here you've got one of the highest ratios of dream sequences to you know waking <laughs> moments in a movie i can think of and what's impressive is that they feel dreamlike you know I, I buy them as dreams or you know so I, how do you approach manifesting them on screen are there like rules you set or pitfalls or examples you draw from yeah i mean i I think part of the reason wanting to make, I've been wanting to make this dream film for many years, Strawberry Mansion. It's been like an idea that 
I haven't been able to get rid of. And I think partly that was because so many other movies, when I see their dream sequences, I'm always like, that's not what my dreams really feel like. Yeah. Like I remember when I went and saw Inception, I was like, oh no, is this, is like he, he, he ripped, you know, to see, he get his idea out there before I got mine out there. And I remember watching me like, no, these dreams are just like bond. It's like a bond movie, you know, like right. I, I don't dream at this, like, you know, ice castle where like, there's all these like gunmen on skis and stuff, you know, I was just like, uh, so I don't know. I think just trying to like know that dreams are so elusive and like they're always kind of changing and you turn around and you're like in a new place and there's new characters and um, being very free with that and knowing like it, we don't actually need to understand what we're doing 100% like in terms of where we're going or the characters that are appearing as long as like we believe in it and just like let Preble get lost and exist in in that space completely and not get bogged down by like the continuity or kind of like the logic mm -hmm. and I, I I think as like you know making films we had so many crew members who I don't think were used to that like they were always trying to make sure the continuity flowed from from scene to scene and I was like purposely like no we don't need to do that like even in the the quote-unquote like reality portions of the movie I, I still wanted it to like already be uh kind of approaching like a dream feeling you know so I you know I think if if things were off in her house that was okay to us it was like let's just treat the whole movie like anything could happen at any moment and you could turn around and it can be a completely different you know place or, or feeling mm -hmm. yeah some of the fun some of the the fun of making a movie and and and, and um uh yeah yeah some of the fun of, of making movies the exact same thing uh, same so element of fun in your dreams which is what what albert was alluding to which is this like freedom to roam anywhere this sort of like elusive slippery quality where things can change and Whole, whole setups can change with without you sort of understanding when they changed and what's the meaning of the change and sort of just deep diving deep into this quality of um, of uh, anything can happen and uh, I I think we really wanted to to show that I mean I, I I it's hard we're cooking up a new movie and it's hard to like even imagine going away from that because it's so fun you know to just play with this dream logic because you can't do everything and anything you want in real reality in your real life, but you can in movies. And I think rarely people utilize that freedom. And so when somebody really does utilize it, I feel like that's always a fresh vision. In, in terms of how to capture it, I, I think I, I think a lot of it is timing. And I think a lot of it is just um, is uh, sort of trying to steer as far away from something that feels natural as possible. I think a lot of the exchanges we were finding in the pink room dreams were a little too natural at first. And then when we kind of messed with the timing of them and, um, and, and along with just adding some, some sound elements that made it feel a little for lack of a better word, dreamy. So I, I think like timing and sound is a big part of making it feel like a dream. Uh, you guys are talking about the sort of freedom that you have um, creating these sequences. And it's really, you know, intoxicating for a viewer to see that stuff. But at the same time, movies that delve in this kind of uh, surreal imagery can sometimes get carried away. 
Um, and I wonder how you manage, you know, balancing this feeling of limitless possibility with keeping it tethered to the story. Yeah, that was definitely the biggest hurdle, I think, in the edit. We had filmed almost about like, I don't know, 20 extra minutes of, of like the, the dream, kind of lost in the dream as Preble is stumbling through the desert and meets up with the witch and all of these extra scenes. And in the edit, we realized, yeah, this is just getting kind of too far away from his central kind of quest or like his you know journey back to himself and specifically like with uh, young Bella's kind of guidance and help. Like the further we went away from that kind of, you know, the more lost we were. And mm-hmm. it was a really tough, like I, I wanted to include as much of, uh, you know, I, I come from like that kind of surrealist, really strong, uh, just like image background. And I wanted to get all these in there, but at some point you just have to like realize that it's just not going to, uh, to work. I can talk to you laughing. <laughs> well, well the, yeah, it's, it is, it's a fun chat because there's so many things that we didn't put in the movie that were strong images and they were hard, hard to cut out because you're like, Oh, this in of itself, I would love to see this image in a movie. And it's hard to omit those. Um, cause you want to use all this fun stuff that you have, but at a certain point there's diminishing returns in terms of, uh, it, it almost, it's, it's sort of more frustrating than anything. It's like, you can't even appreciate if you're lost in the narrative, but you can't appreciate the, the wild, visuals in my view um to the same degree that you can if they're sort of more cohesively integrated into the story um at least that's the the attempt you know i know people some people get this movie goes a little too far for them but i feel like we we reined it back significantly from what it could have been and what it was at a certain point oh i was gonna say i think that's also uh what i appreciate about our collaboration is Tucker is very good about kind of keeping the, the central narrative through line right there uh, in the center. Whereas I, I'm like wanting to go off in all these tangents and brings me back to the thing. And in the end, I'm like, oh yeah, you're, you were right. Even though sometimes when I think I'm like, man, if we just had a little bit more time, maybe we could have figured out, you know, how to get these in there. But I know that that's just like that, that part of me that wants to, to see these images, but that's what the next movie will be for. <laughs> Well, like you're saying, I mean, there is so much visual imagination in every frame of this movie, um, even more than you could fit in. Uh, And you've created like a whole world here with the props and the costumes and the colors being as central to the film experience as the story. So, you know, how intertwined are these aspects when you're conceptualizing it? Do the images come first? Are you storyboarding as you're screenwriting? Yeah, I I think with this one, the, the idea... Uh, came from an image of like this old farmhouse just like filled with VHS tapes. So Mm -hmm. that image came first and then it was kind of just like how to, uh, you know, work backwards from there. Like whose farmhouse is this? What are these, what are on these tapes? You know, and bit by bit it kind of comes together. And I think just over the course of, you know, almost like 12, 13 years of, of working with it, you just, the images keep coming and you kind of like, you know, the frog waiter was there from the beginning, the blue demon, these, there was a, you know, a ton more that, that kind of got shaved off as it went, but, um, you know, just certain, yeah, certain characters and images just kind of stick to the idea and they keep growing. And then, you know, 12 years later, uh, we 
you know, we had to work on the script for a few years, even after mm. like the original first drafts. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's certain elements that were there from the very beginning. And then there's certain elements that were added like w very last minute. I, mm. I'm thinking of the, um, the Island desert Island sequence with Bella and Preble, young, young Bella was not there until the very, very end. And I feel like that's such a crucial part of the movie now. Um, yeah, it's but like it was my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, it was a very, very late addition. Like we were, the balls were in motion to make the movie, and Albert, I, Albert was on vacation at the beach, and he, and he sent me this this um, narration, and I was like, yeah, let's put that. I mean, it sounded exactly like Badlands to me, but I was like, that's perfect. Let's let's have a little Badlands motion uh, segment here, and then we kind of had to like you know make it so that it wasn't a complete ripoff of Badlands, but um, I was like, let's try to cram as many movies as we can, as long as, you know, again, you have to balance that with uh, the narrative um, flow, but yeah, and, and then, yeah, like that, that, that um, uh, the blimp wasn't even there until like, yeah, after we shot the whole movie and it was just another random idea Al had, but yeah, we, we storyboarded uh, for the most part, the whole movie, um, in, uh, you know, as we were in pre-production, and a lot of the props and costumes were being cooked up for, for months in advance. Al is really hands-on with that kind of stuff. And also we enlisted a really talented group of people to make masks. And um, yeah, the masks were, were commissioned by these amazing mask makers in, in Baltimore called Clark Creatures. And so just trying to um, piece together a, 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 a crew that you know, can tackle these things, um, as, you know, as we, as we sort of just ramp up into production. Yeah. As you're, you know, you know, starting to talk about the, it's unusual for such an elaborately designed movie to have so much of its artifice present in front of the camera, you know, as practical effects and this like handcrafted aesthetic makes us kind of even treasure the details even more. Um, and there's also just so much of it, like such a variety too. You have the elaborate masks that you're talking about. And then there's also just like a room full of like painted garbage, you know? Um, so, you know, can you talk about your ideas between behind doing this hands-on approach and then what kind of team you have putting this all together? Yeah, I think a lot of the hands-on just comes from like growing up watching movies where that there was a lot of that, you know, like, uh, these fantasy science fiction films from the eighties, like, like a movie like labyrinth where you can really feel like the creators behind it, like Jim Henson and Frank Oz and, and all of the artists that they got to make those costumes. Like you feel it. It's uh, it's all in front of the camera there. Also just like being a fan of um, stop motion animation and you know, where if you see like, a little imperfection i would always get excited or like you could see the actual like fingerprints in like the clay and stuff and that like not shying away from that trying to uh make a movie that felt very like diy homemade but where that wasn't like a, like a, like you said like it wasn't the problem it, it would kind of like uh, heightened the experience of this world uh and then also because we we knew we were going to put it all back on the 16 millimeter knowing that like these different styles of masks and animations would um kind of you know become one flattened together so that you know it didn't matter that there was all these different styles just yeah and just like i love the the problem solving it's like you have these crazy ideas like okay 
there's they turn into comets. It's like, well, okay, how are we going to do that? And we don't even really know. We just like film the actors in front of the green screen and then know that we're going to have to figure it out over the next year, like how <laughs> we're going to actually make them into comets. And uh, But that's like, that's to me where it gets really exciting and fun because we had a couple different animators, a couple different special effects people all with their own skill set. And it's like, okay, who can handle the digital? Who can handle the stop motion? Who can handle this new idea where you know, Prebles turned into a blimp, which was very late. We didn't even, like, I think we had Bella uh, with a pump because it was just going to be like a dream image. She was going to just, like, be inflating somebody else and their head was going to explode, and it just didn't really work. But we're like, okay, we have her doing this motion, and they're on a desert island, so, yeah, why not just, like, turn them into a balloon? But then it's like, you know, we have, like, a couple months left of the edit, and we're, like, scrambling to see which of our various special effects people can uh do that um but yeah i think just like we you know we filmed in baltimore in terms of like the crew we just had a bunch of uh crew members who were here painting the trash and putting together these props and costumes and uh you know i think we we definitely had time on our side like we knew we weren't going to be filming until september so pretty much all summer was just like spent, you know, building, collecting, painting, hot gluing, you know, all, all the VHS suits. There's like 30 VHS people walking in a field for a quick shot, but we had to take apart, I don't know, probably like a thousand tapes with screwdrivers. And we like, we like made it into a game where it's like, who can, who can unscrew the most in like five minutes, you know? And it, we had like a whole picking table of just people like taking the tape out of these and then another group of people cutting them and hot gluing them and, uh, you know, just, it reminds yeah. me. It reminds me of the scene in Happy Gilmore. Ben stars. Good news. Arts and crafts times has been extended by four hours. <laughs> yeah, definitely. but no, they were they were friends. They weren't like it was us and friends doing that, not like um, unpaid interns. Yeah, <laughs> although there were some of those too. too but. <laughs> but I don't know. It's like you know, as as maybe we try to make like a I don't know our next movie. I I would love to still keep that kind of like. DIY attitude where you you get your friends together for a few months before the film and for for the filming and can like have fun and you know people most of your friends most of our friends like enjoy that kind of stuff you know mm -hmm. it's like it's fun to hang out on a Saturday and eat some pizza and unscrew VHS tapes and you know just talk <laughs> and so <laughs> thanks to everyone that did that yeah sounds amazing right now yeah. uh yeah. So, and like, you know, so a lot of these things you really built, but there are other things that uh, seem like found objects. And I wonder, you know, are you collecting these all the time or, you know, do they inspire certain aspects of the movie or are you, you know, out there looking for certain things that to fit your screenplay? Because I don't know, I just wonder about like, do the found objects that you use also inspire scenes? Yeah. Do you have any examples? Well, I guess um, like the VH, like the dream recorder stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like all those kinds of things that you're using that seem like you, they weren't completely built from scratch. Oh right? yeah. 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 Uh, definitely. Like the, the little machine that's next to Preble's bed at the beginning, it's just like a small little screen and he reaches mm -hmm. in and pulls out his little, you know, USB card right. or whatever that, that was found at a thrift store a couple of years before we were filming just one of those things that I picked up that was some strange machine from the eighties that like, you know, they made and no one ever needed to use. I, I forget what it was for. It was like, 
it was some strange like you could transfer your VHS tape or your like Super 8s to VHS or something by projecting them into this square and then you film yeah. it with like another camera. I mean, it's just like one of those strange machines, but uh, yeah, so like that was, and when, you know, when it was time to put something next to his bed that would be recording a dream, it's like, yeah, this is a weird looking machine that I don't recognize as anything else, you know, like it looks like it's its own strange thing. Um, and then, yeah, like even the, the little like iPad looking machine that he puts that little USB card into, mm-hmm. it was on this like big stand. It was like this, that was actually, I was walking to the supermarket in my neighborhood and this person was throwing away a bunch of junk and they were throwing away that. And it was the weirdest thing. If you, uh, you plugged it in, it was like a, an iPad that you couldn't do anything on because it was, I think had been sitting in a doctor's waiting room. So it was like all of these, like, what would you like to learn about? And there was all these medical things and you click on them. They'd play these like really poorly produced videos and it, I, I spent like I spent like a a week with it by my front door. I'd walk in from you know being out and like kind of see what learn something new about you know like fibromyalgia or something. And uh, but then it was like oh this was actually if we just kind of like add this little card reader thing to the top and position it here, this could be the kind of futuristic stand computer that he uh, puts his dream into. Yeah, so definitely. Uh, you know, and those, both of those were collected long before we were filming. And then I just went down to my basement and kind of repurposed them and, you know, definitely inspired by old machines and strange devices and trying to think of if there's any other ones that. Well, no, I mean that, yeah, I think yeah. that's good. Um, <laughs> Give you 10 more examples, Albert, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you sort of talked about the part when you guys turn into or where they turn into comets. And, um, you know, as the film progresses, it takes on these cosmic dimensions and it becomes more and more digital in its effects. And it's really impressive how you guys are able to integrate them with the rest of the aesthetic. Um, can you talk a bit about, you know, bringing all these different styles together on, you know, so that they sort of feel like they're part of the same movie? Yeah, I think, I think something that we kind of landed on late was we can actually combine the different styles. Like for example, the comets, we had our stop motion animator, Lawrence Becker. He, he made like the actual comet out of hot glue and like cellophane and like a little rock. So then he gave that to us and we inserted um, the faces and put in the backgrounds digitally. Uh, he also made the caterpillars at the caterpillars mm-hmm. that jumps out of the water, like that stop motion. And he made like the splash out of, uh, you know, some kind of fluff. But then we also had our digital CG artists add like more splashes and kind of like shadows. And so like for that, for those examples, it's like kind of combining the different styles and ideally creating something where you're not quite sure what it is. Uh, like the Buffalo at the beginning is another example where mm. we created this actual Buffalo in a field. And then we had uh, some digital CG artists kind of like add breathing. They worked on the face to make the face more realistic. They added like blood coming out of the the wound. Um, And yeah, it's just kind of, I think like once you get to that kind of like hybrid spot with effects, it's really interesting. And like, if if I'm not sure what I'm looking at, then I think that's a good sign. Like that's, that's how dreams feel where you're like, you're not even sure what's really something is like, you just accept it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. 
The other key part of what completes the effect of this movie is the performances. Um, you know, Kentucky, you're in pretty much every scene, often in some pretty strange environments and with, you know, strange co-stars. And with a movie like this, it seems like you really have to thread the needle to find the right tone because you could easily imagine it being too cute or too serious and it would kind of sink it. So can you talk a bit about how you find that uh, balance and how you're able to communicate it also to the rest of the performers? I think I think my general approach was to make something uh, was to was to uh, tackle the the role very naturalistically and so um, and very underplayed. I mean, mm-hmm. that's sort of that's my general style in most movies. But um, for this movie in particular, I feel like to have that foundation in reality was important. To, so that we when we, so when we go into this dream this these dreamscapes it feels like I it felt real so this must actually be a real dream um, and I that the combination of uh, of performance styles I think was 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 essential as well I mean I think um, I, I think playing off of uh, Penny Fuller who is plays um, Bella was um, it, that the dynamic between me being sort of this reserved um, all business kind of government worker and her being this artist eccentric, I think was, was key to that early interplay. And then I I think kind of the wilder, the better in terms of um, where it goes in the dream world. And then it's just kind of fun to watch somebody who just seems so in out of their element have to, you know, somebody who doesn't really want to be out of control is completely out of control. Mm-hmm. completely at somebody something else's mercy and i think that's always a, a a rich dynamic so that that was my general approach to the performance um and then yeah just sort of finding people that we wanted to work with uh grace glowicki and lennis phillips were two of the other fundamental roles and then um albert's uncle reed bernie and, and his family were the other um other roles and i think it's just it's just fun to to put it all together and i, I i'm like with our last film with silvio mm-hmm. i think there was a lot of variation in what kind of performances people gave but i think that sort of adds to the melage of it just sort of like whatever you feel natural doing you know and whatever i i like sort of like this mission this hodgepodge of uh, styles with with regard to special effects, but also with regard to the performances, I think. But, you know, again, always got to keep it cohesive somehow. Right. Um, you mentioned uh, the that you guys did a 16 millimeter out on this film. Um, and, you know, when I was first watching it, I didn't, is I felt like I, my eyes were playing tricks on me. I wasn't sure if it was, it seemed like it was shot on 16, but then also it kind of didn't. Um, so can you talk a bit about how you arrived at this process and maybe what kind of tests you did to, you know, come up with this look? Yeah. It, so this was like an idea that had been kind of kicking around for years, I think in high school, I saw uh, Julian Donkey Boy, mm-hmm. the Harmony Corinne film, and he had shot that digitally and then put it onto 16. And it, I think it was 16, maybe it was even 35. I don't know, but it had such a cool look to it. So I was always like, that would be such a dream to be able to do that with this film. And uh, early on talking with our, our DP, Tyler Davis, he was really down to try that too. Uh, so we 
before we like, you know, filmed anything, we did all these tests where, uh, I think I just dressed up in like some costumes and walked around and he filmed it and tried some different lighting techniques. And then we, we sent it off to, um, a lab and they sent us back and it. Yeah. It just looked, it looked amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think Tyler was really smart in how he, like he knew everything was going to have that, that film look at the end. So he would light things accordingly and he would pump so much haze into to certain scenes to the point where we'd be like, okay, Tyler, I think that's enough. And he's like, oh, almost there. <laughs> and I think, yeah, it, 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 but it really, it really helped. It really helped kind of give it even the stuff that wasn't in the dream, just like in her house, it helped give it this, this mood that feels kind of like from a bygone era, kind of like hazy and, uh, well, yeah, you mentioned Julian Donkey Boy, and I was it made me think about you know there was that like window I feel like maybe in the early two thousands where movies would be shot on video, but you would see them on thirty five, right? Know, and that's sort of a lost look that this yeah. movie resurrects a little bit. Yeah, and you know, so we did all these tests before we filmed, and then then we filmed, and we kept doing tests of this sixteen out to like make sure like the right way to color correct it, and you know what it would look like, and actually. Our, our colorist uh, by the name of Matt Ruggieri, he he was going to try He's like, let me, before we do the whole thing, let me get these, you know, two-minute tests back from the lab and see if I can fool you uh, by, like, taking that same footage that's digital and just tr putting my own film effect on it. Hmm. And, yeah, we were like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. If you can fool us, then we won't need to spend this extra cash, yeah. you know, to put it on 16. And, uh, yeah, he, he came back like a week later and he's like, you know, I just can't, can't crack it. I can't figure it out. Like everything I'm trying that I thought would, would do it. It's just not quite, I don't know what it is. So there's just that unexplainable thing that film I think adds to it. So, uh, yeah, it was really exciting to, to be able to, to get that unexplainable magic in there. Yeah. I think, I think the movie in some ways feels very new I, I don't know. It's like, it's obviously a very nostalgic by nature, but also I feel like this, this wouldn't have been made in quite this way in the eighties. So there's this, like we're influenced by these fantasy movies that we grew up on, but we're also like people of now, you know? And so like, I think, and also the movie is just about mixing times and, and, you know, the costumes are not necessarily like future. They're like kind of we're working at this future past divide. And so just, this idea of digital and film in that w with that in mind made, made sense. And just, I, I, I'm glad that you're saying you didn't quite know what it, what it, what it was because that's the intended. Um, yeah. If, if, if you go into that, that, that definitely gives you a little step in the direction of dreamy, mm -hmm. like what is this kind of mood that we're looking for? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like it's, we, we, we did kind of a similar thing with Sylvia where it's like in the first five minutes, if you can buy into the fact that this is like a gorilla who's just walking around and like, don't get hung up on that, then you can like enter into this, this world that we're creating in the movie, this movie world. And the same thing, like if you can get past the fact that he's dressed like he's from the 1940s and he's driving a car from the 1960s and dreams are recorded on VHS tapes from the eighties and the year is 2035. Like if you can take, if you can take all of that and just like, live with that and put it into okay this is the movie like this is the world of the movie then hopefully you're able to like enter into that and come along on this ride with us but 
definitely like I know that there's certain people who could not get past the fact that Silvio is a gorilla in clothes and that like this world is, you know, it doesn't make sense like that. That's fine too, but who needs them? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's this logic the debate, you know, it's like if, if you, if you're somebody who needs the things that make sense and to add up, uh, yeah, this is not, this, our, our cinema is not for you, but, um, and God bless you. I'm, there's parts of me that's like that as well, but, um, that's why I team up, team up with Albert so I can like chill out and like, let dreams lead the way and like uh think big yeah like so many people have said oh i I wish that you had uh taught the actress how to play the violin correctly here (laughs) and i'm like no man like this is like i don't know how to play a violin correctly like if i have a dream about someone playing a violin i don't know how they're gonna play they're gonna play like however my brain tells them to play and this is yeah that you know so it's like just letting yourself you know we're so tethered to reality and we spend so much time like in this you know in our world where we have to pay bills and pay taxes and just like you know follow these rules and it's just like we don't have to do that in a movie and even if this movie wasn't about dreams we still don't have to do that like you know i just want to get to that spot where like the movies can just be this other thing yeah yeah so yeah like i I think some people are like oh yeah i I can't stand behind this movie because it doesn't make sense and it's like, that's the whole point of the movie. But um, also, yeah, for the new movie, it's like um, we are trying to get to that same dreamy, dream dream logic. Um, anything can go without without introducing the idea of dreams. It's just sort of like in the world. Because uh, it's hard to leave there, like I said earlier. It's just like, that's. I think that's our, our sweet spot. Well, yeah, it's a really great movie. And thank you guys so much for sharing it with us and taking the time to talk with me today. Uh, Really happy to be showing it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Mike. Thank you so much. We're excited to to screen it in Wisconsin and uh, wish we could be there. Yeah, Yeah. maybe next time. Next time for sure.